Welcome back to Back in the Dugout for episode 13. Uh, I believe this probably is going to be the last episode before the All-Star break. So we got a lot of news regarding All-Stars, Home Run Derby, uh, Futures games, all that kind of sweet stuff that we'd like to see. You know, the crowning moment of the MLB season besides the World Series, of course. You know, the mid-season um, you know, festivities. So we'll be talking a lot about that. I'm happy to be back here um, for this week's July episode. It's beautiful outside. Go catch yourself a baseball game. I recently was in Boston for a bachelor party and didn't get to see the Yankees dismantle the Red Sox um, in the game where Christian Arroyo lost the ball in the lights, and that was a pretty crowning moment of the game and made for a very good meme. But other than that, let's just hop into the news. We got a lot, as I always say. MLB's always busy. But starting off, we got Shohei Otani throwing a career-high 13 strikeouts last Wednesday, the day after logging a career-high 8 RBIs, and he is the first player with 10 strikeouts and 8 RBIs in consecutive games. And of course, he is the Babe Ruth prototype two-way player. I mean, the only two-way player really in the game now. Um Going to be go down in history as you know one of the best players of all time. Got an MVP, whatnot. Uh, so just wanted to highlight Shohei Otani, and I also believe he stole some bases in that that two game span. So shout out Shohei for you know being the unicorn that he is in the MLB. Next, we got great news from the World Baseball Classic, which is always a fan favorite. It's coming back in 2023 between four host cities in Taichung, Taiwan, Tokyo in Japan. Uh, Phoenix, of course, the United States, and Miami in the United States. It will begin on March 8th, 2023. And in the last World Baseball Classic, the United States won in 2017. There are four pools of teams for 2023. We got Chinese Taipei, Netherlands, Italy, Cuba, and then a qualifier in Pool A, which will be in Taiwan. In Pool B, we got Japan, Korea, Australia, China, and another qualifier in Tokyo. Pool C, we got USA, Mexico, Colombia, Canada, and another qualifier, Chase Field in Phoenix. And then the final group, we have Venezuela, Dominican Republic, Puerto Rico, Israel, and another qualifier in Miami. The quarterfinals will then be played in Japan and Miami, split between the two. And then we will have the semis and the finals in Miami. So great baseball to look forward to from different players from all around the world. And then finishing it up in the beautiful city of Miami. In the United States zone of Florida. In injury news, we got some scary news um, from San Diego. We got Jerkson Profar being carted off the field. He ran into CJ Abrams trying to catch a pop fly in shallow left. He was kneed in the head by CJ Abrams. Um, and he walked off the field, it was slow to get up, and it looked like it was going to be okay. But then Profar did end up collapsing on his way out. And then he had to be stretched off, but he did do the classic thumbs up that he was okay or put his fist up, you know, showing fans that he is okay and capable of, you know, movement or whatnot. Um, but he is now in the seven-day IL with a concussion, which um, I think most people believed is what was the case after seeing the replay of the knee. Um, you know, you just got to be safe with those neck head injuries and we see it as we see in the NFL. Um, the MLB is no different, still a contact sport at times. And I was thinking about it. I feel like this year we've seen a lot of people colliding on, uh, you know, pop-ups. Maybe it's the shortened spring training. Um, who knows? People trying to make plays out there. Um, but, you know, we hope Jerickson Profar is okay, and I believe he will be okay um, coming in the coming weeks. 
And also in our all-star news, we got Miguel Cabrera and Yadier Molina Molina being named legend all-stars. The MLB added legends to the all-star game, part of the new CBA. And Cabrera has made 12 all-star games. And this year he's hitting 295 with a 689 OPS and a 99 OPS plus. Uh, And it's his first all-star game since 2016. We got Yadier Molina making his 11th All-Star game, batting just 213 with a 519 OPS and a 49 OPS plus. So maybe a little less deserving, but those two guys, you know, their their illustrious, legendary careers are coming to a close. Um, and Yadier Molina was also an All-Star in 2021, uh, so that's a bit of a nod to him. But these, as I was saying, these two guys, it's kind of like Dwayne Wade and Dirk um, in the NBA. It's kind of like that whole, you know, Legends Committee voted into the All-Star game, not only by the fans, but also by by the league, who, because just by their numbers, obviously they're not All-Stars, but from what they've done to baseball, what they've done for the game, especially, you know, uh, Miguel Cabrera and Yadier Molina behind the plate, they are deserving of being in the All-Star game possibly one last time. Um, so that's why they are making the All-Star game this year. Another another injury, we got Chris Taylor going on the 10-day IL with a left foot fracture. He will be out until the All-Star break or after the All-Star break, and he fouled a ball off his foot on Sunday. And we got Zach McKinstry coming off the IL and being called back up to Los Angeles. And we got Jake Lamb, who is a name that I thought I'd never hear besides in like the show when you like forget to sign a third baseman. But And also Trace Thompson, brother of Clay, have been filling in for Chris Taylor. Chris Taylor is a big big loss for Los Angeles who have had a fairly large amount of big losses, including Walker Bueller. They lost Moogie Betts for a bit, um, but you know, they're still the Dodgers. Dodgers going to Dodger. They're still going to be, you know, arguably the best team in the MLB, but still we hope Chris Taylor makes a fast recovery. In historical news, we got Keith Hernandez Jersey being retired by the New York Mets. His number 17 was retired this week. He was gifted a portrait of himself with a, you know, mosaic, of baseball cards. Uh, and at the Mets game, he threw out the first pitch to his brother, Gary. He then um, went on to praise the 2022 Mets. Um, and he did go on, or he was a winner of the world series in 1986 with the Mets. And in his career, he was a five-time all-star, two-time champ, NL MVP, 11-time Cole Glover, two-time silver slugger, batting champ. He's in the Cardinals hall of fame. He is in the Mets hall of fame. And now he is having his jersey retired by the Mets or already did. Uh, he was a career 296 hitter with an 821 OPS and a 128 OPS plus with 2,182 hits. So I would uh, maybe not Hall of Fame, Mets Hall of Fame for sure, but possibly could get into the you know MLB Hall of Fame. Um, so shout out to Keith Hernandez for you know getting his dues with the New York Mets. We got a trade this week. We got Christian Betancourt being traded to the Tampa Bay Rays. For AAA outfielder Cal Stevenson and single A pitcher Christian Fernandez. Christian Betancourt is hitting 249 with a 683 OPS and a 99 OPS plus, so about average. He can play multiple positions. Rays do have a very versatile bench, so he does fit in there very well with Isaac Paredes and Josh Lowe. Christian Fernandez is 5-2 with a 279 ERA and a 1.155 whip in single A. And the other piece that they got in return, Cal Stevenson is batting 265 with a 729 OPS in AAA. So Christian Bencourt, as I said, could definitely slide into that MLB ready right now bench as a versatile infielder. 
Um, and those younger guys will definitely have time to develop in the tanking slash rebuilding Oakland system. And finally, for one of the most important parts of the show, we have the all-star game lineups. So we got to go through this quickly. Don't want to take it too long. We have our AL starters and Alejandro Kirk at catcher, Vlad Jr. at first, Jose Altuve at second, Tim Anderson at short, Rafael Devers at third, Judge, Stanton, and Trout in the outfield, Otani at DH, and some notable pitchers, Shane McClanahan having a fantastic year, Garrett Cole is having a great year besides against the Red Sox, Alec Manoa, who we're talking about later in the show, Martin Perez having an incredible year, and Justin Verlander, the old head. Not this week, but I feel like he could win it every week. And then the NL, we got catcher Wilson Contreras, Paul Goldschmidt at first, Jazz Tishon at second, Trey Turner at short, Manny Machado at third, Mookie Betts, Ronald Acuna, and Jock Peterson in the outfield. And DH, we got Bryce Harper and some of their pitchers, Sandy Alcantara, of course, Scion candidate, Corbin Burns, you know, we all know who he is, Max Fried, another Scion candidate, Clayton Kershaw's having a fantastic year, and Joe Musgrove having a real breakout year himself. Some notable backups I just wanted to highlight. We got Jose Trevino, the Yankee, who barely was in the MLB, barely made the Rangers team last year, makes the All-Star game. We got Jose Ramirez, who was off to one of the best starts of the year, kind of slowed down, but he's coming in back up third. Julio Rodriguez, of course, the rookie, my pick for uh, AL Rookie of the Year at the beginning of the year, started off slow, but now, you know, getting up there in home runs and stolen bases. Andrew Benintendi, um, backup outfield spot, might be a Yankee soon. Uh, and then we got Jordan Alvarez at DH backup who, you know, that was a really tough race. Jordan Alvarez is arguably the best hitter in the game. He is hurt right now with a hand injury and Otani did end up edging him, but still one of the best hitters in the MLB. As I said, backup catcher for NL, we got Travis Darno who's having a great year at the plate. Backup for baseman, we got CJ Crone, another guy who brings incredible power. He does play at Coors Field, so we'll see how he does at, in uh, L.A., Backup shortstop Dansby Swanson, another guy with Darno, one of the Braves having a fantastic year. We got Juan Soto back up in the outfield, not hitting fantastic, but we do know who Juan Soto is and what he brings to the MLB. Um, expected to get a bag this year as well. We got Ian Happ, another backup outfielder, who could possibly be a Yankee soon enough as well. Just some snubs. We got Ty France. Ty France did not make the all-star team after batting 306 with an 840 OPS and a 144 OPS plus. Of course, we got Freddie Freeman. I know we're dealing with all this drama right now, but he is still a fantastic baseball player, as we all know. Batting 304 with an 875 OPS and a 142 OPS plus and 27 doubles. And this is sad coming from, you know, being around Nationals fans. And I do like him as well. We got Josh Bell has played in every single game, batting 304 with an 877 OPS and a 154 OPS plus. He is 54% better than the average MLB hitter, and he did not make the All-Star game. Then we got pitcher Logan Gilbert going 10-3 with a 280 ERA. He has the most starts in the league, and he has a 133 ERA plus to not make the All-Star game. And finally, we got Dylan Cease, who's on the mound today, 7-4 with a 2.45 ERA and a 1.60 ERA+. plus, So, I mean, shout out to those guys. They're still going to be playing hard. Didn't really get the recognition they deserve. A lot of them on smaller time, smaller market teams, I guess, that don't really, or bad teams in general, that don't really get a lot of press. But sometimes that's, you know, the criteria. And for the jerseys, you know, we got the jerseys. They're simple, clean. They got the gold trim. I love gold trim on everything. Um, so if anything is gold, I am all for it. 
And their jerseys are, of course, white for home and gray for away. I prefer the white and black, but I know that's not often. Like the South Side, that's a nice jersey. Um, but they're not going to do that for the All-Star game because traditionally, you know, gray is the, uh, the away team color. But whatever. There's a lot of news. So we're going to go through the rest of these quickly. we got Jordan Alvarez on the IL. He's on the 10-day IL. Had inflammation in his hand. They said he was dealing with it for a couple of weeks. He will not be able to play in the All-Star game as the backup DH. I believe he's the best hitter on the Astros and maybe in the MLB. Um, the Astros did call up Jose Siri um, with the roster space that they did have for moving him to the IL. And Almedes Diaz has been in that DH spot for the Houston Astros. We got the Futures game. You know, part of those All-Star Game festivities, we got five top 10 prospects. Francisco Alvarez of the Mets. We got Jordan Walker as well and Anthony Volpe of the Yankees. Former first-round pick Henry Davis will also be participating. We got Jack Leiter and Brian Bello, who did make an appearance in the MLB this year. We got 13 former first-round picks. And there's also a 23rd rounder in Logan O'Hop in the, in the mix there. You got Mike Sosha coaching the NL. And we got Jimmy Rollins, former MVP, coaching the American League which is incredible. You got Robinson Cano going to the Atlanta Braves, sent to Atlanta for cash considerations. And we have been seeing a lot of cash considerations trades. Um, not trades, but, you know, whatever that is, a deal this year. Robinson Cano was in AAA for San Diego, has been having a very poor, very slow year, starting off with the Mets, then going to San Diego, and now back in Atlanta. The deal has been compared to, you know, a Jorge Soler type deal, Jock Peterson type deal when they were very down. When Jock Peterson was down on the on the um, Dodgers and Soler was pretty down before being traded to Atlanta. Um, so it's similar. I think those players are a little bit better at that point in their career than uh, Robinson Cano, but I see the similarities. Uh, he was brought in, you know, because Ozzy Albies is out with that injury and he will platoon with Ar- Orlando Arcia. And he can also, you know, kind of platoon, I guess, at DH with um, Ozuna. Robinson Cano did play yesterday, made a pretty handful of pretty good plays, and did record his first hit. So shout out Robinson Cano. We got the Rays being absolutely devastated by injuries. They placed two starting fielders on the IL and Wander Franco and Kevin Kiermeyer, and also starter Jeffrey Springs. Wander Franco has played in 58 games in his third in plate appearances for the Rays. Kevin Kiermaier has played in 63 games and his fifth in games played for the Rays, so they're missing a large part of that starting lineup in those two guys who have been there for pretty much most of the season. Jeffrey Springs has appeared in 19 games, which is the most games appeared in for a starter. And Taylor Walls will fill in for um, Wander Franco, and Brett Phillips will fill in for Kevin Kiermaier. And we all know the exciting Brett Phillips. We got the Home Run Derby. We got Albert Pujols participating in the Home Run Derby, which should be fun. I don't think he'll make it out of the first round, but, you know, prove me wrong. Ronald Acuna, who's always exciting, you know, one of the faces of the MLB. Juan Soto, another very young, exciting guy who can absolutely destroy the baseball. And, of course, Pete Alonso, two-time winner, looking for the uh, his third win. And I think we're going to split this up right here for a beast just because this segment has been very long from all the All-Star news. So we'll do bad beats um, with our young guns of the week. We'll probably, you know, put those two together. Onto our bad beats, and then into our young gun of the week. After we got two bad beats, or three and three and two, I guess. We got the Yankees and Mets losing 
on the same day. Yankees against the Pirates, Mets against the Reds. Yankees lose 5-2. It was Jamison Tyone's return to Pittsburgh where he played between 2016 and 2019. The Yankees, of course, had the best record in baseball, and the Pirates were 14 games under 500 at the time. Jack Sawinski impressed again with a home run and two RBIs. Very young, great player that they have over there in Pittsburgh alongside O'Neill Cruz, of course, and Cabrian Hayes. Jamison Tyone allowed five earned runs in 5.1 or 5 and one-third innings, and in his worst start ever, one of his worst starts ever this year, right after his uh, – or right before his last start between the Boston Red Sox, which was pretty bad as well. Stanton went 0 for 4. Jose Trevino went 0 for 4. Two All-Stars. Uh, Donaldson 0 for 4 and Judge 1 for 5. Judge has been slowing down a bit. IKF went 3 for 5 in the 9 spot. But, of course, you know, no RBIs brought brought forth by IKF. Then we have the Mets losing to the Reds 1-0. Max Scherzer threw six scoreless innings in his return. And also in his return, we got Nick Lodolo coming back, throwing 4.2 scoreless innings. Reds had four hits and a walk-off sack fly off of Seth Lugo. No red in that lineup had more than one hit. And Pete Alonso and Francisco Landor combined for zero hits and eight at-bats. So a very, very pitching-dominant game, of course. And it seemed that the Reds just you know, got lucky at the right time with the sacrifice fly to walk it off in the ninth. Another Reds game for our bad beats, we got... The Reds walking off the Rays on a balk. The Reds won the game 2-1 in 10 innings. The game was tied 1-1 from the third inning until the 10th. Mark Kalasvari, I hope I said that right, was pinch running in the 10th inning. Nick Senzel moved him over with a sacrifice. Albert Armora then went on to walk. And then Tyler Naquin came in to pitch hit. And Matt Whistler ended up balking in Kalasvari for the winning run. And the Reds had, again, just four hits. And their three through seven hitters did not register a single hit. And they still managed to walk off slash balk off against the Tampa Bay Rays. So that was pretty upsetting. The Reds just kind of killing my whole week this week. And I think in terms of picks, my numbers were, you know, four games over 500, I believe. I took one day off at the bachelor party, but... Other than that, you know, these past couple weeks have been sitting around 500, so not great. But, you know, over 500 is definitely what we are shooting for here. And on to our young guns of the week. We got Corey Seager, 28 years old, Texas Ranger shortstop. Got that humongous contract. 7 for 17 this week with 19 total bases and 4 home runs. And he hit a home run in 4 straight games. He had 7 RBIs and another another pretty good um, good stretch of 4 games recorded an RBI in four straight games, and he only struck out once, which is, you know, I think that's probably one of the more impressive stats for Corey Seager this week because we all know that the MLB is, you know, moving towards the three true outcomes, strikeout, walk, home run. And to only strike out once and to hit, you know, four home runs in a week is pretty, pretty impressive from Corey Seager. His average jumped about nine points to 245, and his OPS jumped to 782 from 733. The Rangers are three and two this week. You know, that's about, I would say that's about average for the Rangers, around 500. They did start off poorly, um, but they're, you know, getting back on that horse as of now. Started off slow in April, May, and June. That is Corey Seager. He's batting 368 with a 1.195 OPS in July. And Texas is now just three and a half games back from the AL wild card. So shout out Corey Seager, you know, 
showing the Rangers that you might not be a humongous waste of money. Um, and, you know, Marcus Simeon's actually playing playing much better as well, getting his numbers up. His numbers were even worse. Um, but, you know, they're figuring it out. Maybe it just takes some time. But, you know, shout-out Texas Rangers and shout-out Corey Seager. For our second young gunner, we've got Sandy Alcantara, of course, probably the best pitcher in the NL. Uh, yeah, uh, up there with Tony Gonsolin and then, you know, all those guys. But Sandy Alcantara has been getting a lot of press in Miami. He's 26 years old, Marlins pitcher. He is an all-star this year. He made one start this week against the Mets where he went seven innings, allowing six hits but zero earned runs and striking out four. In July, he has made two starts but has allowed zero earned runs in 15 innings across those two starts with a .60 whip and opponents just batting 154 in July. He's first in war in the MLB, second in ERA, and fifth in whip in the MLB. Him and Pablo Lopez. Well, Pablo Lopez has slowed down a tiny bit. Uh, they are a great, great one-two punch, and they are going to be getting Jazz Chisholm back hopefully soon so they can try to make the wild card as well, you know, in that tough NL East division. But shout out Sandy for being, you know, one of the most dominant pitchers in the MLB, making that second all-star game, I believe. Um, and just doing great things in Miami with Pablo Lopez, Jazz Chisholm, and just one of the more exciting, underdogish type type teams in the MLB. But we'll be getting on to Old Head next. So on to our Old Heads. Of the week, we're going to start, of course, with a Yankee in Josh Donaldson, who's a 36-year-old third baseman over there in New York. 6-for-21 this week with 15 total bases, hit three home runs for 10 RBIs, and even stole himself a single base this week at the ripe old age of 36. His average jumped about six points, and his OPS is now over 7-10. Yankees are obviously the best team in the MLB this year. Josh Donaldson has been one of those great role players over there in New York alongside Trevino, Aaron Hick. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but IKF, you know, again, Anthony Rizzo, all those guys have been really holding it down in their role player positions. Josh Donaldson has had, he had a great May. Other than that, in those past couple months before July, has kind of been unproductive. But he doesn't need to be super productive. As I said, he just needs to be a role player. And he has been overshadowed by Jose Trevino, of course, the all-star. And just absolute sensation. Matt Carpenter coming in and bringing that lefty power that the Yankees have been looking for for 100 million years. Um, and just shout out, Josh, shout out to Josh Donaldson for doing, you know, being an all-star in his role. Um, doing, you know, enough to really hold down that third baseman spot. Um, and he's our first old head of the week. Our next old head of the week, we got another AL player. We got pitcher Johnny Cueto, 36 years old for the Chicago White Sox. who have been having a pretty bad year, but he's been surprisingly good over there in Chicago. He was 1-0 this week against the Tigers with eight innings pitched, five hits and zero earned runs and five strikeouts. It was his longest outing of this season. June, he was 2-3 with a 3.82 ERA. Not terrible numbers, but he has greatly improved in July. In two starts this month, he has a 1.29 ERA and a 1.07 whip, and opponents are batting just around 200. 
this is really you know a far cry from where he was at one time in his career. He did have very very poor three years between now and when he was you know an all star in San Francisco. Over the last two seasons, he was ten or last three seasons actually ten and twelve with a four five nine ERA and a one three six one WHIP. So not horrible numbers, but definitely as I said, a far cry from where he used to be. And this year, he's really been bringing it up, kind of a race resurgence for him after being a three time All Star. And the last time he was an All Star was of course in 2016 in San Francisco. But shout out Johnny Cueto for having a great July so far. You know, rebounding from the past couple tough years and, you know, an all right June. But next we're going to be on to our surprises of the week. For our surprises of the week, we got one player. And we also, this week, first time, have a franchise and not just a singular player. But we're going to start with the player first, and that is Alec Manoa, who, of course, is an all-star pitcher, as I said before. One of the best, young, promising pitchers in the MLB as of now. He has been having a very, very tough July, very uncharacteristic of Alec Manoa. He is 0-2 with a 4-15 ERA and six earned runs in just 13 innings. He took losses against the bottom, the AL bottom, Oakland Athletics, where he allowed four earned runs, which was the tied for the most amount of earned runs all year. And they lost against the average to slightly above average Mariners, which is a little bit more excusable, I guess we would say. Before that, in June, he was 4-1 with a 2.56 ERA and a 1.03 whip. So absolutely stellar. The Blue Jays, you know, in light of his recent lack of success, and just in light of whatever's been going on over there and their culture, have fallen below the Red Sox and the Tampa Bay Rays in the AL East. And now they are only two games up on the Baltimore Orioles. And that brings us into our second surprise of the week. We got the Baltimore Orioles. They have won eight games in a row playing today against the Cubs. I, I picked them to win, so we're going to go nine in a row possibly. They've outscored opponents opponents 41 to 26 during that eight-game win streak. They swept the Rangers and swept the sad, sad, wasting Mike Trout, wasting Shohei, Los Angeles Angels. They're one game under 500 right now, and they are now two games behind the Blue Jays for a wild card spot, as I said before. Their run differential started at minus 28 before these eight games and is now at just minus five. So still minus, but we could see that number, you know, eclipse that zero mark and go into the positive soon. They went from seven and a half games back to just two games back on the Blue Jays. They had four games over 10 hits and four games over scoring four runs. Their starters over the last eight games are seven and zero with a three six zero ERA. So not a fan. A good ERA, but you know their hitters have been really bringing in, as I said, with those four games with 10 or more hits and four games with five or more runs. And it is their longest win streak since 2005. And I just wanted to you know bring forth some players who were on the Baltimore Orioles at that time. We've got Miguel Tejada, a name that people have probably forgotten about. we got Melvin Mora, another name that people have forgotten about. And someone on the Baltimore Orioles that I did not even know was on the Baltimore Orioles. we got a 36-year-old. Sammy Sosa was on that 2005 team when they won seven in a row or eight in a row. But those are our surprises of the week. You know, we got some AL East 
it, there's there's a lot of fun going down to the AL East, especially now with the Baltimore Orioles really kind of getting into that picture and the Blue Jays, Rays, and um, you know other AL East team and the Red Sox is who I was trying to think of. You know, it's a it's a real it's a real jumble over there in the AL East. So next, we're going on to our social media moments this week, and stick around. Onto our social media moments. This week, we're starting off with the Home Run Derby X. Pretty cool thing that the you know MLB has started to do, you know, bringing more fans overseas. Kind of like an old-timers day type thing for the uh, Yankees, but still very exciting. And, you know, crossing gender boundaries, of course. We had the first round of the Home Run Derby X at Crystal Palace Stadium or Crystal Palace Park in London. Round one was Red Sox versus Cubs. Red Sox went on to win 38-37. Other round one game, we got Yankees versus Dodgers. Yankees won 61-41. to And, of course, my favorite player probably ever, Nick Swisher, was there. And he did have a Union Jack baseball bat, which reminded me of the Bigs. I talk about the Bigs all the time, but such a fun game. Nick Swisher is such a fun guy. And this home run derby act, such a fun event. <laughs> the next round, we got the third place match between the Dodgers and the Cubs. Dodgers went on to win 53-38, so they did come in third. And then in our championship round, or final round, as we should say, we got the Yankees defeating the Red Sox. Sounds like real life. I mean, they did split the series, but, you know, we'll see. We'll see in uh, the playoffs, you know. But the Yankees ended up winning 42-40 to and winning uh, first place, I guess, in this round of Home Run Derby X in London. Next, we got a fan absolutely destroying his face on a bleacher or a seat in um, Atlanta's Truist Park. Eddie Rosario hit a foul ball against the Nationals. A fan laid out to catch the ball. You know, as you do when you see a ball, you put your life on the line. And he went face first into a chair very hard. Uh, the broadcast did show a lot of slow-mo instant replays, and he took it straight to the mouth. The fan ended up did getting the, you know, he did get the ball. But the Nationals went on to win. So the Braves took the L. This guy was in a Braves jersey, so a Braves fan. Um, the Braves did take the L, but he did, you know, get that ball. And he is, you know going pretty viral on this show, which is most importantly, but uh, on, you know, social media for absolutely eating a plastic seat. Um, pretty sure he's okay. You know, he's not, he's not hurt or anything. Probably just embarrassed, you know, hurt his ego a tad, but it was, it was very entertaining and it was funny because, you know, people love seeing people get hurt or whatever, but it was funny. He's fine. If he's fine, don't worry. Finally, we got Lourdes Gurriel allowing a home run off of his glove and left. The Blue Jays were playing the Mariners. Dylan Moore hit an absolute missile. I think it was to left field. Um, Lourdes Gurriel was on the warning track, and he went to catch the ball. Of course, as you do in baseball, the ball went into his glove and then popped out because he was leaping. And, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a bit of awkward timing once you're doing that. The ball then went over the fence, and Dylan Moore, that was his only hit of the day and just his fifth home run this season. And the Mariners went on to win 8-3. So, you know, it was embarrassing for Lourdes Correal. His team also did take the L. But let's think about Dylan Moore. Dylan Moore probably was super excited. You know, he's you know, not hitting great this year. Probably was like, oh, I just popped out to left, you know. Got to go back to, you know, the dugout. And then he got a home run out of it. So let's try to look at the positives of all these situations. Um, but it was, of course, like the other moments. It, it was funny. 
but you know, we sometimes we laugh at people at their expense, but still enjoy them. We still enjoy baseball, and we're not going to go on Twitter and you know say horrible things about them because that's not that's not okay. But next, we're going to go you know more serious. We're going to go back to our prospects this week. After this. Next for our prospects of the week, we're starting out with Noel V. Marte, 28 years old from Dominican Republic. He plays on the Seattle Mariners affiliate High A. He is their shortstop over there. He went 9 for 18 this week with 22 total bases, 4 home runs, 1 double, 6 RBIs, and 5 walks. He's batting 441 in July with a 941 OPS. He is the 20th MLB prospect and Seattle's number one prospect. And July has been his best month going forward, so great to see development from our young guy, Noel V. Marte. And I believe he's got a couple years until his call-up, you know, projection date. Um, and that's good because, you know, Seattle does have J.P. Crawford locking up shortstop. So we get to see Noel V. Marte, you know, develop quite a bit at just 20 years old right now. Can make his way up the minor leagues and, you know, probably break through in 2024 or five. So he's got time, but a very, very great start to July and, you know, his career in the minor leagues in single A as of now. Our second, you know, prospect spotlight or prospect of the week, you got Zach Veen, who is actually on one of my The Show teams and MLB The Show. That's why I know the name. He is 20 years old from Florida. He is, again, again in high A, but he plays for the Colorado Rockies affiliate. He is an outfielder, went 7 for 16 this week with two stolen bases, a very fast guy. Batting 278 with an 848 OPS and three triples in 75 games so far this season. He hit over 300 last year with a 900 OPS and 75 RBIs in 160 games in low A. Um, similar to him with Noel V. Marte, um, you know, he's got guys in front of him that definitely are going to be, you know, on the team, on the roster for a very long time. we got Chris Bryant. Um, he's going to be there for seven years, of course, um, in left field. He might have to move positions because he's not, he's not a great left fielder, but they also got Jonathan Daza and Connor Joe, who are great, great, young, promising guys who, you know, are, are ahead of him and ahead, of course, in the depth chart as of now. Um, but we'll see where things are at in a couple of years. He's going to be debuting Zach Dean and probably in a couple of years as well, being in high A. Um, and he's got a lot of time to develop. Uh, he could have a roster spot if one of those other younger guys doesn't pan out or if they end up moving on from Chris Prime, but I don't know. He's making a lot of money. But those are our, you know, our two two prospects of the week. Young, young, young guys, promising guys who have a lot of time to develop, and a lot of guys showing great promise. And so next, we're going to go to our history. For today in history, we are going to start with Babe Ruth's 700 home run. I think it was 33 that this happened. I forgot to put the date there, but 1933. Um, he had his 700 home run off of Tommy Bridges, who was a six-time All-Star and was an All-Star that year. In the game, Lou Gehrig left the game with lumbago, which I've never heard of, but apparently it is lower back pain. And this actually could have put Lou Gehrig's you know, consecutive game streak in you know peril, but he ended up being able to come back for the next game and continuing that, that streak. Babe Ruth had hit 14 home runs 
going into this, you know, this was his 14th home run is what I meant to say, to give the Yankees the 2-0 lead. When he hit his 700th home run, which was the most in MLB history at that point, the second closest player was teammate Lou Gehrig, who we just referenced, who had 323. So almost 400 home runs behind Babe Ruth was the second leading home run hitter, I guess. Babe Ruth went on to hit eight more home runs with the Yankees that year. And he hit, I think, six more with the Boston Braves after leaving the Yankees with, you know, the historical, incredible career after being sold from the Red Sox. And he finished his career with 714 home runs. And I don't think we need to talk about who Babe Ruth is because we know, but it was an important day on this date in 1933 for number 700 for the great Bambino. Another important Yankee moment here. We got George Steinbrenner passing away on this date in 2010. Nicknamed the boss, he was the principal owner of the Yankees in the 1970s until his death. He won seven World Series and 11 AL pennants at the helm, fired 20 managers in 23 seasons, and he fired Billy Martin five times and rehired him five times. He went through 11 GMs, and he also went on to start that infamous Yankee no facial hair, long hair rule. Uh, he created the famous Goose Gossage mustache because Goose Gossage had a beard, but he couldn't you know, have it, so he... He just transformed it into an incredible mustache, similar to what we're seeing with Matt Carpenter this year. And uh, who am I trying to say? Uh, uh, Nestor Cortez. Oh, my goodness. How could I forget Nestor Cortez with that facial hair? Um, but George Steinbrenner was banned from day-to-day -day management from 1990 to 1993 because he was a very hands-on guy who would get very involved and you know, spark fights. But when his time with the Yankees, he went on to win the World Series in 95, 98, 99, and 2000, and lost in 2001. He named his son predecessor in 2005. He's an estimated billionaire by Forbes. He has a monument in Monument Park. He also had a Seinfeld caricature made after him, and he hosted SNL. He won two Stanley Cups as the Devils owner. He won three ESPYs. He has a band hall named after him at the University of Florida, and he has a high school named after him in Florida, and he also has a statue outside of the UNC baseball field. And I'm sure everyone knows Steinbrenner, you know, at the surface level, but it's good to get to know, you know, the day-to-day -day operations of Steinbrenner and, you know, what he meant to the Yankee team and, and the, the antics that he was involved in back in those days and not just how he won, you know, so many World Series. In 2012... We got Zach Grinke starting three consecutive games. And I actually saw this in a, I think, Jolly Olive video, which is a great YouTuber. You should watch him as well. Um, saw this recently before I even realized that it was this date in history. But Zach Grinke started his first game on July 7th against the Astros, but was ejected in the first inning without recording an out. And I think he was, you know, trying to cover first on a like a pitcher fielding. You know what I'm saying? Like a first baseman gets the ball, pitchers got to cover. And he didn't cover first fast enough. So he spiked the ball at the ground as fast as possible, and he was ejected. He then pitched the next day on July 8th against the Astros again and only went three innings. So even if there was the all-star break after this game before he pitched his next, but even after that, he's only pitched four innings in two games, so he could have still pitched without the all-star break. But then after the all-star break, he pitched against the Pirates, pitched five innings on July 13th, so five days rest. And he was the first pitcher to start three games in a row since 1917 and like pitching back then, of course, it's a whole different baseball game. 
Um, and, you know, just it's incredible to see that happen. When I heard that in that Jaliala video, as I was alluding to before, I was like, that's not even possible. And like now today, like even though he pitched four innings in two games, like they probably wouldn't even let him come back and pitch again. So I don't think we're ever going to see that ever again. You got some birthdays. We got 1889. We got Stanko Veleski was born. He was born in Pennsylvania, debuted in 20, not 2012. And I think it was 1912 and played until 1928. The Phillies, Indian senators and spent his last year with the Yankees. He was an ERA leader twice, strikeout leader once. He finished with a career record of 215 and 142 with a 289 ERA and a oh, World Series championship in 1920. He's in the Guardians Hall of Fame. We're not going to get into the name. Uh, he's also voted into the MLB Hall of Fame in 1969 by the Veterans Committee. So it was not voted in you know, by the writers, but the veterans did have his back. And he did go on to live an astonishing 94 years and died, I think, in 84 or something like that, 85, which is pretty incredible because he saw the 1800s and almost the 90s. So shout out to Stan. 1982, we got Yadier Molina's birthday, born in Puerto Rico, brother of Benji and Jose, as we know, drafted in the fourth round of the 2009 draft by the Cardinals, debuted in 2004. He has went on to win 11 11-time All-Star, nine gold gloves, four platinum gloves, one silver slugger, one Roberto Clemente award, six fielding Bibles, and I love that name, fielding Bible. I find it pretty interesting. A two-time World Series champ, a career 278 hitter with 1,241 hits and over 1,000 RBIs. He also won two silver medals with Puerto Rico. He is a 14th all-time on defensive war for any position. And he's the second highest active player behind Anderton Simmons, who is a person that I really enjoy his fielding. But Anderton Simmons only played 11 years, and he's already like top 10 in, in a defensive war, which is pretty incredible. Molina is first in career putouts for catchers, second in defensive runs saved for catchers, first in assists for catchers. He threw at 40% of runners all time and has picked off 55 people. And, you know, we did allude to him before being in the the legend, you know, slot in the All-Star game. So shout out Yadier. 1988, we got DJ LeMayhew being born. He was born in California, two-time Gatorade Player of the Year in high school, drafted out of high school, but then went on to Louisiana State University, LSU. He was then drafted in the second round of 2009 draft by the Cubs, debuted in 2011 with the Cubs, but then was traded to Colorado where he played seven years and he's now with year four with the Yankees. And I didn't even know he was on the Cubs, which is pretty interesting. And I, this is one of the best parts of seeing players that you didn't even know were on the team. I didn't know that Sammy Sosa was on the Orioles. I mean, other people might have, but I also didn't know that TJ LeMay, he was on the Cubs. So just another, another benefit of doing all this history stuff. He's been a three-time all-star, two-time first team, all MLB, three gold gloves, three defensive player of the year and a fielding Bible, another fielding Bible. Two-time Silver Slugger, two-times batting title champ. In the short 2020 year, he led the league in average OBP, OPS, and OPS+, and somehow did not win the MVP, came third in MVP voting. He is a three-time MVP vote-getter, and he's a career 299 hitter with 1,525 hits. So doing that math, he's been in the MLB for 11 years, and he's got 1,525 hits. You know, see, barring there's no serious injuries, 
incredible fall off coming soon. He could possibly be in line for 3,000 hits, 22-year career. It's a bit long, but, you know, maybe. Maybe he could. Finally, we got Cody Bellinger being born in 1995. He was born in Arizona, son of MLB utility man Clay Bellinger, who is a two-time World Series champ, but not really much of an MLB player, just was with the Yankees at the right time. Cody Bellinger participated in the Little League World Series in 2007. He then went on to be drafted out of high school in the first, first, fourth round excuse me, in 2013. He debuted in 2017, was the fastest player to reach 20 home runs, was an all-star, and also participated in the home run derby, hit a cycle in his rookie year, had the most home runs ever by a rookie, won NLCS MVP the next year in 2018, has won a gold glove, silver slugger, all MLB first team, all-star, and NL MVP all in 2019, World Series champ in 2020 with a little bit fall off in production, has struggled really in 2021 and 2022, dealing with that leg injury. He's a career 252 hitter with an 834 OPS and a 121 OPS plus. So above average, I mean, for where he was in the first two years of his career, kind of disappointing numbers. I mean, the OPS is good. Um, but, you know, seeing where he was in those two years, you're kind of, you know, expected more. And he's got 144 home runs in six years. So to finish off the show, we got Not Your Father's Baseball Player. We got Sparky Lyle, born in Pennsylvania in 1944, drafted in 64, called up, debuted in 67, spent 16 years in the MLB as a reliever for the Red Sox, Yankees, Rangers, Phillies, and White Sox, won the Cy Young in 1977 with the Yankees, three-time All-Star, two-time World Series champion with the Yankees, two-time AL saves leader, career 99-76 and 76 record with a 288 ERA and 238 saves. He expanded the role of the reliever, one of the most prominent relievers in his time. He went on to write two books. He managed the Somerset Patriots as well as the minor leagues, and he was a humongous prankster. In his time in the league, he put ointment in Yogi Berra's toothpaste. He lit matches under teammates and reporters' shoes while they were doing interviews, and he would leave the dugout early during the game and go into the clubhouse and people had like birthday cakes or cakes for celebration, and he would put his but his bare butt into the cake and it would leave an imprint of his butt. And in terms of what my dad had to say, first he said great reliever for the Yankees, which checks out through an amazing screwball, which I didn't see anywhere, but I'll take his word for it, I guess. Played with the Boston Red Sox, which checks out. Had huge, had a huge mustache and sideburns. If you look at a picture of the guy, he looks like a stereotypical 1970s you know, baseball player with a disgusting mustache. Um, and even worse sideburns. It just looks like they were glued onto his head, which is absolutely disgusting. And he also used to chew so much tobacco that he would have a ball in his mouth, a big... And it was incredible. I saw a picture. It was, like, this big. I couldn't even... I can't even, like, make it look that big. It was just an incredible amount of chewing tobacco. Um, and also just another... He looked like a stereotypical baseball player with the big, big, uh, the big lip in. Not even a lip. Like, literally his mouth was full. Um, it looked like he had a growth in his mouth, but I was like, how do you even pitch like that? But uh, he figured it out. He was an all-star and a Cy Young, so it looks like the dip did not stop him. Um, but that's all for Sparky Lyle. That's all for the show. We'll see everyone after the all-star break. We got the all-star game, futures game, home run derby, some celebrity stuff, um, all that. It's all fun and games, you know, celebrate the MLB and all those great players. 
Um, but yeah, follow the podcast, Instagram at BITD podcast, post all the pics and awards and memes and whatnot and re- Instagram reels. It's a whole lot of fun there. A whole lot of fun doing the show. Thank you, Tunnel Vision Sports. Um, thank you, the editing team for, you know, putting this all together. Um, it's a lot of fun, as I always say, doing this research and, you know, we're going to see how the rest of the season plays out. So thank you guys. And I'll see you next week.